And we're back at it. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Jamal Karsandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're talking about the Friends reunion, Army of the Dead, and everything in TV and movie news. Folks, it's showtime. says hello i want to kill myself are you okay sweetie i just feel like someone reached down my throat grabbed my small intestine pulled it out of my mouth and tied it around my neck cookie all right so like i said today we're getting into so many things last week we had to take a little bit of a hiatus but we're back now we're talking friends we're talking army of the dead and one thing i want to start off is talking about invincible john but finally watched it but yes heads up uh, there are going to be spoilers, obviously, for all these things if you want. We're even going to tell you what we're going to be talking about a little bit. So if you want to skip ahead, we got timestamps in the description. And also, don't forget to subscribe. But yeah, Jumpin, you finally got to Invincible. Give me your thoughts on the show. I loved it. It was incredible. And to be honest with you, this is uh, ties in nicely to why we, were, we had a hiatus last week. Mm-hmm. I was really sick. I genuinely thought I had COVID. Mm-hmm. I had my first jab, but I was displaying all these symptoms of COVID the morning of the day that we typically record the show and went to get tested, came back negative, but that's beside the point. I was still, you know, really, really, really sick. And so here we go. You know, when you're sick, what do you do? You're you're lying in bed all day. You're trying to pass the time. And it finally came around for for me to binge watch Invincible. It was in the back of my mind. I had archived it. I was going to get around to it sooner rather than later. I'm so glad I did because this show is phenomenal from the animation, the storytelling. I know it's adapted from a comic book series, but man, it pays homage to so many other um, comic books. And there's so many references. For example, the Red Rush is essentially their version of the Flash in many yeah. ways. There's so much Justice League. There's so yeah. much uh, Superman. Every single DC character is basically represented there. Yeah. All Teen Titans are basically represented there. And it even actually plays homage to so many science fiction movies that I grew up with in the 80s and 90s. But man, I love the show. I think this is one of Amazon's big, big hits. I can see on social media, it's already got a massive cult following. Bring on season two. Man, this is a show you have to watch, especially if you're a comic book fan. Absolutely. Honestly, the people who don't know about it, it's on Amazon Prime. It's uh, all eight episodes are available to be streamed right now. The whole uh, first season is done. It's starring Steven Yeun, Sandra Oh, J.K. Simmons, Zazie Beetz, Mahershala Ali, Seth Rogen, Gillian Jacobs. Everybody you can think of who's like been involved in great content for the past like 10, 15 years is in this show somehow. And somehow they got the budget to work out and it's still, it looks amazing. It's shot almost like, uh, like these old 90s. Uh, X-Men cartoons or the, the old Spider-Man cartoons. It still has that same feel for me. Yeah, for sure. And then, but at the same time, it's like, all right, cool. Well, we're going to take that aesthetic and we're going to update the fuck out of it. Yeah. And give it so much heart and depth. Way more than you ever expected watching that show. Yeah. I, I mean, don't even know why I started watching it. I, I, it just, like, I, I think I watched it from like the second episode on, but like the buzz was like pretty instant to how crazy it is. This is one of those things where... Yeah, like you kind of see it kind of start to grow on social media. It definitely was one of those shows. It didn't get like a huge amount of promotion or hype before the drop. Mm -hmm. And it starts to get word of mouth and people start to talk about it and share it. And have you seen this? Have you seen this? And that's how it kind of came into, uh, fell into my lap because you'd watched uh, the first episode. I think we'd watched the first episode um, before recording one of these shows a a while back. And then you had actually taken the time to watch the entire season. And you were like, yo, 
Jamath, you have to watch this show. Yeah, please, yeah, please, yeah. please watch it ASAP. And I'm glad I did. And and like you said, I think it's fantastic in terms of it's definitely, you know, on the adult side of the spectrum yeah. when it comes to the content. And I think that's fresh. And I think we don't get enough of that. I mean, in terms of uh, the comic book landscape, you know, the boys... Uh, again, Amazon Prime, you know, Amazon have really kind of, uh, I guess, supported the more adult-themed comic book adaptations as yeah. of late. And in terms of the animated world, the animation world, I think this is the first real big foray from a major streaming platform to go the adult route. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, like, you know, the way they approach this show, I'm sure it's not the first one that, like, is dealing with, you know, trying to, like, spin the superhero genre on its head. Like, uh, we have Kick-Ass in the past, and we've had, like you said, The Boys has been in there. But it's just, this is, for me, the most effective use of taking what we already uh, expect from the superhero genre, whatever preconceived notions we have, and just flips it completely yeah. on its head. Like, you, you, you're you just used to, like, especially walk, watching uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League earlier this year. If you had watched that movie, and then you watched this right after, it's almost like, oh my god. This is what I really wanted. This right. is like exactly what I was hoping for. Everything that he was hoping to accomplish with that Justice League, yep. they actually did in this actual series. The way they talk about collateral damage from you know people dying, buildings falling, families being broken up, relationships, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. That you see them really get like just on a very surface level get to touch in Justice League. Across these eight episodes, they got to explore them so much more in depth and get to really go into it. In and- a- twisted way and that's why there's a massive benefit of when you have a series right yeah when you have you know eight episodes clocking in at between 40 minutes to an hour each you can go in depth you can do character explorations you can just take an episode out and really delve into you know one or two characters before you bring it back to the major arc of the of the of the show and of the series and i mean like i said before it's so adult themed in so many different areas in terms of sex violence just the themes the like you said the relationships there's things that are explored on invincible that you just don't see touched in any other animated adaptation of a comic book series it's interesting because when we were watching falcon and the winter soldier i was starting to actually think like maybe i'm starting to have like superhero fatigue right right because the genre like has really been the biggest genre in all of movies and tv for what the past 12 years yeah and then at this point, I thought, all right, I think this is maybe maybe we're on the decline part of it. But, like, this show completely, it just showed my appetite still completely there after watching this show. Again, it's easily my favorite show of the year, so I'm going to be raving about it quite a bit. But I want to hear just, like, what are your, what, why do you think it does work? Like, what is, like, the reason that a show like this can even exist after we have seen so many other uh, adaptations of superhero comics? Because I don't think it's trying to shy away from what normal people go through, mm-hmm. right? Relationships in the family, father yeah. and son, uh, relationships at school, um, sexual relationships. You know, there's so many things that this uh, you know delves into in terms of what regular people go through, but it's heightened because it's in the world of superheroes, mm-hmm. and and also it kind of really shows the violence. Yeah, you know, there's so much blood. Norm- this is the kind of you know, blood and gore that I would typically perhaps see in a manga, yeah. anime or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because, like you said, it's got that kind of almost 90s, early 2000s, you know, Western animated look to it, but you never got that blood in any of those shows. And now that you have blood and gore and the violence and the way they are killing 
other superheroes you just don't see that in animated yeah. world and to see that was a visceral experience in its own right and obviously as the show plays out and then you kind of start to peel the onion in terms of what's going on omni-man his background and, and how this kind of relates to his relationship with invincible it just kind of it spirals out of control but in the right way kind of thing. yeah yeah it's like that same thing you said like they take idea of like justice league and they kind of flip that but for me it also they take the idea for Invincible specifically, of, like, Spider-Man. Like, it feels very similar to, like, his... The way he, ex- like, has to navigate through high school and deal with learning how to be a superhero at the same time. At the same time, we, we see the first episode of... We're, we're Invincible, basically, as char- like as the audience. You're going through the experience We're with going him. through with him, yeah. and we see Omni-Man kind of become this father figure for us in that first episode. And then right away at the end of that episode, it's completely changed like why the hell did our father figure just do this shit right it completely it's first it's confusing as hell but yeah. it's amazing son kids your age think they're invincible and it holds them back makes them careless the thing is you're different you actually are invincible and the funny thing is is like the entire show as the the character and the story arc ends up playing out mm-hmm. As a viewer, I'm thinking Omni-Man has a legitimate good reason for doing what he did. I'm just waiting for that twist. I'm waiting for that reveal in the end. And when you actually get the explanation, you're like, this guy's been a prick from day one. (laughs) And it's like, oh my God, he was legit a villain like of the most worst kind and when you get that you know information you know in that final episode it's it's kind of crushing and, and it's heartbreaking you feel for invincible um and again but it's so new as an experience as yep. a viewer you're like oh my god i want season two now it's kind of funny because like when we do talk about omni-man like it's kind of similar to when you hear about thanos it's like that thing where a lot of people are like yeah i mean thanos is a bad guy obviously he's a bad guy but i get it you know what I mean? Like, you you know he's crazy, but at least he has a logical thought process. Right. To, like, why he... Like, even if it's skewed, at least he's following a certain line of thinking. Omni-Man, the exact same way. He has a very specific thought process, and you know, sure, it's evil. Sure, he, like, doesn't give a, give a fuck about humanity. Yeah. But it makes sense that he does... Like, the way he acts is logical, and it makes sense for his character. And you don't get that information, and you don't get that reveal about his past, about that background until that final episode yeah. and that's why it's great because they saved all of that information until the end of the season because as the season's playing out you're wondering there's got to be a good reason like something's going on and like I was trying to rack my brain because I've seen so many comic book you know animated shows and, and movies and TV shows and I'm like oh, I'm trying to like be the sleuth and figure it out and when you get that re- re- revelation it's it isn't the storybook end yeah. in, in, by the end of season one by the end of season one it's just like you're left with your kind of jaw open you're like this isn't a happy ending, yes. but it's laid and planted so many seeds for future shows and future seasons. Exactly, yeah. And, and on top of that, like, man, like, there's not enough things I can rave about for this show, like the gore, the action, all that kind of stuff. But the music selection also is so good because it makes the show feel very contemporary. Yeah. But the music selection also is just so fitting of the scene. And, like, it's so, like, the way, we'll talk about it later, like, uh, the, the movie we're going to talk about in a little bit, The Army of the Dead, a lot of times when I thought, wow, that's a weird choice musically. I never felt that when I was watching this right. entire show. The way they flip the idea of a post-credit scene as well. Like, you'd be watching the whole show and it felt like a lot of important stuff happened. And then the credits would roll and the most important part of the whole show would happen in the last, like, five minutes. Yeah. And 
I want to just quickly touch on something that happened at the beginning of the show. Even just how the Invincible episodes start. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about... They don't, kind of, I guess, mention Invincible. Every time they're about to say Invincible at the start of the show, that's when you get the logo yeah. with a bit of blood splatter. And then more the next episode. And then it and keeps then gradually more getting more, more... Yeah, exactly. Again, these little things, these little touches, yeah. made everything feel fresh and new and kept me glued on. And the main reason of why I wanted to binge it. It's easy to just watch an episode, oh, I'll catch the next one next week. And then yeah. No. I wanted to sit down in one sitting and get through this all in one I, day. I, I get it. The, the funny thing is, while I was watching it week to week, it was painful. I had to <laughs> sit and wait for these episodes. Right. But, like, at the same time, like, it, I got to explore and think about it. And it's weird because sometimes when you do week to week and you wait, you almost build your expectation and what you're waiting for to the point where you're, when you actually do see the episode, it doesn't live up to that. This is the kind of show where even it, it goes to wherever you thought it was going to go, and then it still exceeds your expectation every single time. 100%. On top of that, the only thing that's, that's funny, just to go back to that Omnimon point that you made before, of like how he's a villain and all this kind of stuff. Right. The funny thing is, when I do watch this show, I almost don't sympathize as much with humans in, in a different way. Like, when they're going to Mars, and they're, they're just trying to make it to Mars, and that's like their big uh, mission as humanity or whatever... It feels like very trivial to watch humans try to accomplish something in a world where superheroes exist. Because mm. you know, like, all of these pe- all of these other superheroes can already just go to Mars. What are we even going to Mars for? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that part is, like, uh, where I start sympathizing a little bit with Omni-Man's plight. Uh, just to wrap up a little bit, what was your favorite storyline or episode for this show so far? Oh, I mean, uh, the finale for me. I- I- everything happens in that finale, man. Yeah. Um, just the revelation of Omni-Man, his past, just seeing Invincible's heart get broken with the revelation of what Omni-Man did mm-hmm. to uh, the other superheroes. Uh, and it has some of the best scenes, has some of the best violence. And yeah, I mean, that final episode for me is the best episode of the show. Uh, also, honorable mention, I agree, but honorable mention to, uh, for some reason, I guess is I like seeing Invincible get his ass whooped, but the episode where he's going against Machine Head and his henchmen, man... Like, what a phenomenal episode. So action-packed. And I'm thinking, okay, his this is his show. How is he going to get out of this? How is he going to somehow win in the end? Who's going to come save him? Right. And it never really happens. Mm. The, the, the evil dude, like the big lion dude, he just walks away. And it's like, okay, this is like completely different from what I was expecting. And that's what I'm saying. It's like... Normally, you know, like on uh, you look at any of the superhero shows that are currently on the CW, Supergirl or uh, Lois and you know Superman, any of those shows, right? It's they always have like the the, the monster of the week or like the, the the enemy of the week. By the end of the episode, the good guys always win, yeah, right. In Invincible, he gets his ass kicked <laughs> and it's all like, the time, yeah. All the time. And he hasn't come to grips with his power. He's still just a kid. And there are other superheroes who are equal in terms of what they can bring to the table in a fight. And they're veterans. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and on top of that, they didn't just uh, randomly level up Invincible. Like when he goes and, you know, he's getting his ass whooped by random aliens. And then he goes and faces his dad. He doesn't just get angry, power up, and now all of a sudden he's at his dad's level. Right. He's still getting his ass whooped. Yeah. Like I love that level of consistency across the board. Um, but man, the, the sick thing is that they did confirm season two and season three are on the way. Amazing. Uh, I've heard even from people who have read all the comics that they could go to season 10 and they already have like a great story already planned this out. Is that much in the anthology already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's ready to go. That's amazing. And yeah. the fact that I have no idea about the comic book series at all 
it's great for me as a viewer of the animated series because yeah. like everything's going to be brand new for me I gotta ask though who's the best character of the show oh this is tough it's it's a toss up between Invincible and Omni-Man mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to lean towards Omni-Man mm-hmm. here because as far as villains go as far as his overall look and some of the way he handles situations and just the fact that he becomes the absolute prick gradually right until that final episode where he kind of just says hey listen you know I didn't really love you know I loved you but I'm going to be here for thousands of years you're like you know just like a speck on the timeline of my existence yes. little things like he is so vicious in that final episode which is makes him a great character yeah absolutely for me it was on me man too uh for me it was also that he took the everything i hate about superman everything that's perfect about superman and the way he acts and all that kind of stuff and he flipped it completely on its head but also honorable mention like you said to invincible but also robot is such a fantastic character yes. seeing his little progression as well rexplode i think is hilarious what a funny character. And Debbie, like the mom, is such a valuable character. And I love her. Like, she's basically like the human representation mm. that, like, is in the know, but like, she still has so much value in the show. I love it so much. This is definitely one of those shows I also feel like when season two rolls out, yeah. I might just re watch season one and binge it and mm-hmm. just kind of throw it on in the background and kind Absolutely. of re watch and, you know, because they do a lot of world building they they introduce so many characters and there's so many scenes and, and great moments that you really need to or should get a second or third you know watch of this whole show to really absorb the world that they've given you yeah right? on top of that this is the kind of show that even if you do watch it once or twice or three times like you're gonna enjoy it you're gonna pick mm-hmm. up extra stuff Absolutely. when you do watch it the second time yeah uh what about you mentioned the finale scene yes uh what were the other best scenes that you well, I said the finale, the finale episode was my favorite episode. Yeah. In terms of my absolute best scene, that's easy. When Omni-Man holds up Invincible and the train is just wrecking through them. Yeah. They can obviously survive because they've got, you know, you know, superhuman strength, but they are killing people on the train and Invincible's, you know, body, his face and his eyes are going through bodies and, and intestines. He's watch it. He has to watch it. He's yeah. got blood. He's got like what, maybe hundreds of people of blood all over his face and eyes. And not to mention just the visual experience of going through that while your dad, yeah. the man that you know you love, yeah. right, and raised you, holds you up. That was just insane to me. Absolutely. Even just like the other scenes surrounding that, like when he's trying to hold up the the building and instead it collapses and right. kills everybody. And that like was just so tragic for uh, this poor kid who's in high school to have to experience or when Debbie has to hear that she's a pet or she has to hear about how like he doesn't even care about her and you can see her breaking down like that whole scene like that last like 10 minutes of the episode whatever it was that was amazing just devastating stuff uh, star rating wise what'd you give the show 4.5 out of 5 this, yeah. is, this is like as high as I can probably go without being absolutely perfect yeah 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 I, I, I agree I ended up giving it a 4.5 I want like every part of me wants to give it a 5 right because I would love it so much but a part of me is like alright maybe I'm just buzzing really hard because I just saw it sure so yeah I ended up giving it a 4.5 uh, but man if you have not seen Invincible we spoiled the shit out of it for you <laughs> but you really even after hearing all this you should really go out of your way to watch it it's such a tremendous show I am telling you, years from now, school children will study it as one of the greatest first dates of all time. <laughs> it was unbelievable. We could totally be ourselves. We didn't have to play any games. So have you called her yet? Let her know I like her. What are you, insane? <laughs> all right, but now let's get into 
we were talking about before, let's get into the Friends reunion. Yes. It finally dropped. Everybody's been waiting for it for years and years and years. And Friends wrapped up in what, 2005, 2004. And it's finally here, fifteen years later. What did? You, well, first off, let's talk about the sitcom. Mm. Like, what are your like? What's your relationship with Friends? A really positive, good relationship. Like, mm. it's my favorite sitcom, mm. and I, it's kind of weird because every time I have a conversation with people, uh, or I, I see it online as well. People always say, "Are you, uh, you know, in the the category that is a hardcore Friends fan? Are you in the category that is a hardcore Seinfeld fan?" For me personally. My friends and kind of family members that were perhaps maybe four, five, six years older than me, they really grew up watching Seinfeld, right? Mm-hmm. I completely missed out on the Seinfeld era. Yeah. And I got into Friends and Friends became the sitcom of my teenage years and as I kind of went into my early 20s. And at no point did I ever have the urge or the need or the want to go into the world of Seinfeld. Yeah. Even when there was available on, on demand or DVDs, I never thought, oh, let me go and watch this, which, you know, um, maybe I should have at the time, but I feel like so much time has passed now. And I feel like I'm in team friends um, <laughs> just from the fact that that has probably been my favorite sitcom. I was talking about it with my wife, actually. I think in just in our relationship in the last, what, 10 plus years, just between the two of us, we've probably seen the show from beginning to end in some way, shape or form three or four times. Yeah. And it's just one of those great you know, sitcoms where if there's an episode on TV, great background, just throw it on, it's yeah. good, you have good times with it, good memories. And some of these episodes and some of these scenes are absolutely timeless. So yeah, I've got nothing but positive things to say about the actual show, Friends. Yeah, when you talk about Seinfeld, it's funny because when I was a kid growing up, I, I was at one of my friend's houses and we were watching The Simpsons. Right. His br- big brother walks in and he says, listen, turn on Seinfeld. And we're like, no, no, we're watching Simpsons, Seinfeld sucks. And then he goes, no, no, trust me, when you're older, you're going you're gonna to be watching Seinfeld. You're gonna, this is what you're going to love. And as we grew up, I, that actually happened. I ended up loving Seinfeld. It ended up being my favorite sitcom growing up. But with friends, I had like this really interesting relationship for me because uh, my family loves friends. Right. And my sister would watch friends to the point where it was always on TV. <laughs> we have all the DVDs. It was always on. Like there wasn't a day for like maybe a five year period where Friends wasn't on TV. It, it had to be on. Right. To the point where we almost got, we got like everybody else yeah. got sick of it. Well, my sister would watch it constantly, constantly. <laughs> so it's, it's weird because like when I first watched Friends, I thought this is such a great show. Right. And then it, it's kind of like that thing where you just, if you, if you eat something for too long, eventually it just, it's hard to get down. Right. But once it, she stopped doing that, once I got away from that, I got to kind of just sit and like, it's, it's almost like that friend you haven't seen in a long time, right? It's like instant coffee. It's so comfortable. Right. And like, you just kind of like, it's, it's easy. It's like, there's a reason McDonald's is, you know, selling the most burgers. It's very comfortable. Everyone's so familiar with it. It's just a part of your life from like when you were so young to now. Yeah. Right. Friends is like that show. Yeah. But man, like, it's just like, I don't think there is like a show in our generation where people have such a specific relationship with this show like they do with any other sitcom. 100%. There's a lot of sitcoms that I've enjoyed over the years. So we talked about The Fresh Prince um, not too long ago on, yeah. on that episode and there's been some great you know shows over in the UK that I you know grew up and loved watching uh, when there would be new episodes dropping but nothing to the level of friends. Yeah, even if you're like a contrarian where you're like, well that's not me. Like but you know everybody else in your life, that's the case. Right. Like somebody in your life 
is such a huge Friends fan. Yeah. And it's so like no matter what, whether you're like it's a part of your life or somebody else's, like it's it's, you're, it's in your uh, peripheral vision somehow. Friends entered the zeitgeist like no other sitcom in yeah. my era, in my life. Uh, what were your favorite characters like when you were watching it though? Like who did you think you were? Ross. <laughs> I was kind of uh, identified with, with Ross the most and he, he actually ended up becoming my favorite character by the end of the show. I feel like Ross... Early early seasons, he's kind of this mopey guy who's yeah. kind of like coming out of uh, you know a, a marriage, and he's you know just in love with Rachel, but you know he's a bit of a geek as well, yeah. and like he's not gonna get the girl or whatnot. But actually, Ross grows on me more, and in reflection, when I look at episodes now, he is the character, and it has to go down to David Schwimmer's performance, yeah. who has given me probably the best and most comedic and funniest moments over the course of the 10 seasons it's kind of funny because when i was a kid i was like man i'm chandler right. i'm chandler i'm right. definitely chandler yeah and then now i'm older i'm like oh fuck i'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> but man there's so many like great things but like chandler is still my favorite character like that guy is just the funniest character for me in the entire show mm. uh and like there's so many moments that are just like they're like when they're having the little the bet for the apartment that's such a tremendous episode all yeah. of them get to really shine for that uh the thanksgiving episodes are so understated i think that's one thing that will keep friends in my life forever is yeah. because like every time thanksgiving comes around we just throw those episodes on yeah um and also like, i think one that was like not even mentioned in the reunion but the episode where everybody's trying to find out about monica and and uh chandler yeah but it's when phoebe finds out already and she's trying to seduce Chandler and get him to admit that they're dating. Yeah. That is such, that might be the best episode of Friends, period. Right. Because it's so funny that that whole interaction between them was just tremendous. This is the thing about Friends. It's like everyone's got their favorite episode. Yeah. Everyone's got their favorite character. Everyone's got a character that they can probably relate to more than the others. Um, and even if you weren't a, a, a big fan of Friends, you know, in, in while it was on, you know, during its run, it's got such replay value. It's been on TV so many times. Um, there's an episode, there's a, a part of uh, the reunion special where, you know, they had some celebrities on and one of the celebrities they had was David Beckham. And he said something that I actually was, uh, you know, found quite relatable to. He's been in so many hotel rooms over the years, like I have for work. And this is one of those things where you check your channel flicking, you see friends, ah, oh, you know what? As I'm unpacking, as I'm just kind of re relaxing in my room, let me just watch Friends. Yeah. It's such... I, I, that was such a relatable kind it, of moment. It's a comfortable show. Yeah. It's like having your favorite pillow. Like, it's just... It's just, it's just there, man. Yeah, it's just there. Um, but, man, let's talk about the reunion. Mm. What did you think of that special? I thought it was pretty good overall, honestly. Um, there's definitely some bits and pieces that um, I didn't find that great in terms of James Corden being the host. I'm not really a fan of him Absolutely. personally. Why? Why was he even in there? I have no idea. Like, they, they couldn't find anybody else. Like, this show was on NBC. I think, like... If you had to choose somebody from late night, I thought Jimmy Fallon would have been a right. better choice. Yeah. I think he fits like the... The New York vibe, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like he fits that whole like NBC aesthetic that yeah. like it really grew up on. Like that's what the show's based on. Yeah, so that was a bit of a weird choice. So I didn't really enjoy him too much. I didn't really enjoy the, the random, clearly planted questions from the audience. Yeah. And I didn't really enjoy having random fans tell their stories about yes, that... why they're friends of, uh, you know, why they're fans of friends or what friend of their most like i get that what i really want is just i want to hear from the six actors that played these characters bring back some of the uh, other cast members which which they did and it's those moments in this reunion special that i found most endearing yes. and that i found most entertaining and 
that I found to be the most interesting parts of the re of the reunion. Yeah, I, I think it's weird because um, if you lived like to actually see the show when it aired, yeah, right, and like you have like a like I said a relationship with friends, but now like fifteen years later you're seeing it like this show kind of as like you watch reruns and you have it on streaming services, it's like just caught in this moment of time. Yep. So it's never changed. It's been friends forever. So now you see this reunion after so long. For me, it was kind of weird. It was like jarring a little bit to see like all these characters kind of for the, like I haven't seen Matthew Perry in anything in a long time. I haven't seen Matt LeBlanc in so long. I haven't seen uh, Ross or any of those. Like a, a lot of them I haven't seen in a lot of stuff. Like mostly it's been Jennifer Aniston and... Uh, Courtney Cox? Courtney Cox like to a little bit, but yeah. mostly like Phoebe. I've seen in other stuff recently. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow's had a decent career. Well, this is the thing. Post Friends, they've all had various various degrees of success. Yeah. Whether it be TV shows or movies, nothing can obviously, I guess, compare to the characters they portrayed on Friends. And forever, you're just gonna see these people as the characters on that sitcom. It's just that's part and parcel of when you have such a, a major hit like Friends was, right? Who who is the most like second and third most famous cast members, by the way? I think the most famous cast member... I mean, it's definitely Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston, definitely the most famous, in my opinion. But who's second and third? That's I would really say second is probably Courtney Cox. Okay, yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, and then third, it will be tough. Because <sighs> I feel like Matthew Perry had, like, this run. He did. That's he had, the thing, like, right? Like, everybody's going to forget it, but, like, during, like, what, whole nine yards and all that kind of stuff, like, he had, a, like, a good run. Yeah. And I was going to say between it was a toss-up between Matthew Perry and David Schwimmer, because I feel like David Schwimmer... He, he's still got some shows on yeah. um, right now. But, yeah, it's probably a toss-up between those two guys. Mm. I also think Lisa Kudrow definitely is in that conversation, which leaves Matt LeBlanc at the end. But it's yeah. like, it is what it is. Yeah. But, like, man, like what a, what a great cast, by the way. 100%. Like, just it's a tremendous cast. My favorite part of the entire show was, like, the reunion was just the beginning, mm. right? Like, just them kind of walking into the room just having that very authentic and sincere reaction to everything. And that's what I want in a reunion. Yeah. Special. That's why I thought the Fresh Prince reunion was so special. Yes, yeah. Will Smith was essentially the host, which, you know, I've got no problem with that. Yeah. But it was just the, the cast sitting around the, the living room sofa having a conversation about the past. They Like, I don't feel like the Friends reunion special needed a host. Yes. It tree, if they just had the six cast members sitting in the coffee shop, right, or in Monica's apartment reminiscing and talking about you know the, the beats of what they wanted to cover on the reunion special i think that would have been way better than having a host and having bts give a special video promo or having i don't know cindy crawford or justin bieber do a little fashion show for you or something like that Didn't yeah need that i i completely agree with that it did it definitely felt overproduced a yeah. lot of the time but like the moments of sincerity were my favorite part they could 100%. have been like a 30 minute special of just that, yeah, and I would have really loved that. Yeah, but like they extended to what, like an hour and a half, and I get why you had to put all, all that nonsense in to like fill space. This is HBO Max again, yeah. producing content. You know, they're still a brand new streaming platform. Again, they've only been around for I think six months now. Yeah, and they've already banged out two reunion specials of two iconic sitcoms, Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Friends. Um, what was your favorite part of the whole thing? I think the revelation that David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston were actually romantically crushing on each other pretty hard yeah. early on in the show, that was like brand new information. For some reason, in all of the interviews that they've given over the years, neither of them have ever let that little tidbit come out. Yeah. And for the fact that they actually addressed it and talked about it 
on this reunion special kind of makes you go back to those early seasons and, and those early episodes and kind of view, almost view it in a different way just because yeah. so much of the show was based upon the characters of Ross and Rachel will they won't they get together and it's funny because like I remember in the actual show when Joey is dating one of his cast members they talk about like well if you're dating outside of it you lose the heat and it's like <laughs> that's exactly what happened here they didn't end up dating so the heat stayed yeah. and so the characters stayed strong uh, what was your least favorite part of it? The reunion, that is. The reunion, yeah. Um, it was... I have a, a very it, specific... It's memory. a toss-up. I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't enjoy uh, James Corden's uh, involvement whatsoever. But it was just tough to see um, Matthew Perry yeah. um, as, as, you know, playing the role of Chandler in the show. Just seeing him all these years later. Now, you can see the rest of the cast members. Okay, a few of them had a lot of Botox done, and that's very, very clear. I actually think that Lisa Kudrow and David Schwimmer have actually aged the most gracefully. Uh, clearly, they haven't had any work done on, on them at all. But Matthew Perry, obviously someone that's has been well-documented. He's clearly had um, substance abuse problems throughout the years. A story came out that, what, a day before they were shooting this special, he had some dental work done, and that's why you know he comes across the way he does in the reunion. You can kind of tell though his teeth were a little like, like you can tell the veneers were there. Right. You know what I mean, like that, it looks like they were very fresh teeth. Right. Which it is a few ways of lo- looking at it. Either that's the truth, and if that's the truth, man, did you ha- I, did you have that kind of like I guess um, mental issues where you had to think I need to get my teeth done. Yeah, for this yeah. reunion special because I want to look a certain way dude that insecurity yeah. of like coming back in the public spotlight after like being away from it for like a decade and he talked about that he talked about uh, the anxiety that he would go through whilst on set if the, if the audience weren't laughing yeah and, and, and like I think yes that is something that you know he's going to deal with individually but like I don't think that's out of the norm for the entertainment industry, specifically comedy. I agree. Anybody you talk to or you hear from who talks about stand-up comedy or any kind of live audience, they're going through that anxiety every single time. They're talking about throwing up in the back. They're talking about having a panic attack before they get out there. Like John Mulaney, Bill Hader, they've talked about their anxiety to such an extent yeah. that like it's it's very normal or it feels very normal whenever I hear a, a comedian talk about that. Whatever the case is, whatever led to Matthew Perry being the way he was in this reunion, whether it was still um, the effects of substance abuse problems or whether it was just the fact that he was on painkillers from the dental procedure that he had what a day before they shot this, mm-hmm. what's clearly evident is by the end of this reunion special, you can clearly tell if you are a smart viewer of a lot, a lot of television, they carefully, in post-production, minimized his contributions in this Absolutely. reunion. Everybody else has so many talking points and Matthew Perry is very clearly minimized. There's very little contribution here. There, that's absolutely true, but I will say one thing, just to like give him a little bit of a like olive branch or whatever. He, the, he has that moment where he talks about like, when they see each other at parties and like, you know what, if I see one of my cast members, I know the rest of the night, I'm just hanging out with that person. Right, right. The best way that I can describe it is after the show was over at a party or any, any kind of social gathering, if one of us bumped into each other, that was it, that was the end of the night. You just sat with, that sat with the person mm-hmm. all night sure. long. That was like the most sincere moment that they had in the entire episode. Mm -hmm. And it came from Matthew Perry. And like every time he did talk, sure, we know him from being a very comedic actor and very, very funny. But I felt like he came across as very sincere with the emotional stakes that came across with how much he loved the show. 
but and the effect it had for some, him. Sometimes when that sincerity comes across, it looks, it sounds a little dark and a little deep. And it does seem a little sad, but it's like, you know, we're we're here for a reunion special, and we're yeah. we're all reflecting on this. And it's nice to have somebody who's actually being honest. Yeah. In this whole situation, yes, there is like a sad aspect to like leaving the world's biggest show, and like having that be the the peak of your life right. at one point. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing if they had perhaps talked about what was life like post Friends. Yeah. You know, um, that perhaps then takes away from the whole point of the show, which is let's just focus on these 10 years, these 10 seasons, what went down, what did we like, what did we didn't like, and some of the behind the scenes, you know, anecdotes and stuff like that. Uh, but that's, I guess, where an independent doc- documentary comes into play, right? Where yeah, you talk sure. about what actually happened to these people post Friends. Yeah, I, I'd be down to watch that in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I'll say the least favorite part for me was uh, Lady Gaga coming in for that oh smelly part God. in Nonsense. <laughs> I was uncomfortable watching that. And it felt, like, so weird to, like, have to just sit there and watch that. Like, they could have had that as, like, a web extra or something, man. But this is what I'm talking about. They really felt as though they needed to plant so many celebrities, especially, I guess, celebrities that are, like, at the peak of their powers right now. Lady Gaga, BTS, David Beckham. It's like Justin Bieber. It's like, did you really need all of these kind of, like, celebrities that are A-listers today in 2021 to, like, almost co-sign the fact that they're fans or friends. Yeah. You didn't need that, guys. Just focus on the era that these guys lived and breathed these characters. That's enough. What about reoccurring characters? Who's the best reoccurring character from Friends? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, Tom Selleck was great. Yeah. Uh, Gunther uh, was always there. Why wasn't he on set? What do you have that's so important that you can't come to the actual reunion special? That made no sense. Did they me. explain that? Was it COVID? They or was... said that he had somewhere else to be. Wow. That was it. Maybe he has like a restraining order or something like <laughs> where you can't be around them or something. Because like, why the hell else would you not be there? Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, I'm not too sure. By the way, for me, it's Janice. Janice? Janice is number one. Like she is annoying, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. she's hilarious. She plays her part so well. Yeah. And the way she, like in the early episodes where she plays off Chandler is fantastic. I like uh, Rachel and oh, Rachel and Ross. Is, um, Ross and Monica's mom and dad. They're great, because, yeah. They are yeah, really yeah. great, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about, who's the best friend? Who's the best character? Ross. Yeah, I ended up going, I, I, well, for me, it's Chandler or Ross. Like, okay. I think it's Chandler, for me, in terms of comedy, right. but Ross overall. He okay. feels like the actual main character when you actually walk away from the show. Sure. Uh, best scene, or best scenes? That's probably the toughest question to answer, because there's so many. From the top of my head, I'm going to just say when Ross gets a tan. And, and oh, it goes yeah. horribly wrong. Yeah. And his reaction to it. And then the rest of the episode, he's darker than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going with, we were on a break. Right. That whole sh- episode is like incredible where they're having a fight and like that's so sincere. And like the, even the comedic moments hit so well. Yeah. The other friends kind of sitting in the other room, like just tagging, like adding comedic tags along the way. So well done. Like that, I think that's like the peak episode of Friends. You can literally take any, um, scene from any episode and it can be an all-timer like in terms of my overall favorite episode yeah it's funny because i I googled this and i searched it the actual episode is called the one with the embryos yeah but it's the one it's like the most misleading title for the episode because that episode is actually the one the bet it's the bet it's when the the you know ross uh, ross uh, ross is the quiz master yeah and you have chandler and joey going up against Monica and Rachel in, in a quiz show format and the bet is The Apartment which is just a fantastic episode that is the most rewatchable episode for me I could watch that over and over and it's easily the funniest episode yeah uh, 
I've said that probably for like so many episodes at this point. You could probably watch back and montage that together. Yeah. Uh, what about star rating? Let's talk about just the reunion. What star out of five do you give the actual reunion itself? 3.5? I ended up giving it a two. Okay. I oh, feel wow. Like you went really low on this. It's just, it was kind of weak. Right. Right? Like there was certain points when I, it was fun, but right. like overall by the end of it, I was just like, all right, this could have been an hour. Yeah. Like this could have, it could have been a lot shorter and it would have been okay. Right. Uh, there was enough in there in terms of bloopers, some of the behind the scenes anecdotes and stories are told. Like I had no idea about Joey breaking or dislocating his shoulder and obviously yeah. the revelation of, you know, Schwimmer and uh, Aniston actually having, you know, a romantic um, feelings for each other early on. I was like, whoa. I think one of the biggest things that came out of this show is they kind of basically finally answered the question of where everyone's or every fan of Friends has been asking for is there going to be new shows are there going to be new seasons you know as they're a little bit older and is there going to be a, a real return of the show friends and flat no is the answer and they give a great reason for it and we yeah. ended the show as perfectly as we could have there is no reason to unravel everything that we un- you know, that we did there's so many shows that have like when they do like you know have a reboot or a restart and it's just it ruins the legacy of the show right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the way they ended it was right. I don't need any new episodes from Friends. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, man, all right, that's everything for Friends. Any last thoughts for that? No. I think it was, uh, like I said, uh, I enjoyed the, the reunion special. Um, I thought it was some good content from HBO Max. They've obviously, you know, got a lot of things in the pipeline when it comes to leaning on their library of content right now. And it wasn't as good as a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion that we got a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But as a fan of Friends, it was good enough for me to kind of get that closure, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That was everything for Friends. Uh, next thing we're going to be talking about is Army of the Dead. Again, spoilers, if you haven't seen it already, timestamps in the description. We are putting together a crew for a job. Yeah, what does it pay? Well, it pans out. You make $2 million for one day's work. $2 million. But That's my share. That's just for me. $2 million if it pans out. 100% I'm in. Yeah. You don't want to know, you know, the risks or... Why would I want to know the risks? All right, now Army of the Dead. Gentlemen, give me your thoughts on Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Just came out this year on Netflix. What were your thoughts? I actually had a pretty decent time watching it. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not gonna you know, look, look. I haven't been Zack Snyder's biggest fan in, in recent years. I still feel like 300 is the best thing he's ever made, and he's he's uh, for me like he's trying to almost either you know try and produce something that resonates both critically and commercially on the level of 300, yeah. and he still hasn't come close to the mark in my opinion. But I am glad he's finally got some departure away from in, you know, working in the world of comic books and the DCEU. Yeah. And going back to something that he's clearly a fan of. He did a remake of Dawn of the Dead many, many years ago. He loves the world of zombies. And for him to play around in Vegas, a heist movie with zombies, this has got a lot of Zack Snyder's kind of trademark, I guess, signature moves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Littered throughout the movie. Uh, I'm not saying it's a great movie. Yeah. It's a little bit long for me, but I had a decent time watching it. The funny thing is when we were watching Zack Snyder's Justice League, I remember one of the things we said was like, you know what, this guy is the kind of filmmaker that needs a long runtime. Right. And yes. now we've given him the long runtime, and I was like, man, you could have tightened that shit up. Dude, he's now living in the world of streaming services. Yeah. Like clearly, in the case of Army of the Dead, 
it's on Netflix. They were like, here you go, Zach. Here's our credit card. Go nuts. And frankly, it worked because uh, it, it turns out that it's one of Netflix's most popular films ever. Not surprised. So, like, number one, that's huge for Zack Snyder, huge for Batista in his first leading role to have yeah. such a home run. Yeah. Um, and now this is potentially going to be a franchise. Yeah. But, man, you, you, one thing I definitely want to talk about is how you talked about Zack Snyder and his way of directing if that's the first thing we could talk about because sure. he's such a specific filmmaker yeah right and the thought i was having was that you know how like tarantino likes to pick a subgenre and like dissect it and like he'll he'll make it crazy and subvert your expectations and push it into like a new like new direction yeah right with Zack snyder he kind of takes that genre and he stylizes it yeah. and he makes it like uh, the genre picture through his lens and obviously that's like you could be like say that about any director and be like duh obviously any director is going to do that but it's like very specific with him where he has the same kind of beats that are very prominent where aesthetically it's going to look a certain way the same way uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League looked this movie has a very similar feel it's shot a little differently with a different lens and all that kind of stuff but it still has a very similar over stylized feel yeah right it still has that look that he's had consistent from like day one and i'll tell you what hasn't gone away yeah his love of slow motion absolutely <laughs> it's like i don't know how many minutes were clocked on the uh snyder cut of yeah slow motion footage but there's a lot of slow motion he loves he i think death. he uses that as like a tool like so prominently yeah and it feels like once you've seen a Zack snyder movie just tell me the genre, and I know what I'm going to get. Right. Like, it's there's not going to be many surprises in that way. Yeah. Um, also, Rick and Morty, I didn't get to show you this episode. I really wanted to. Rick and Morty had this amazing heist episode in season four, and it basically tainted all future heist episodes for me because it's just, like, exactly like this movie's laid out. The first set part of the episode is just assembling your team. You go and have your, your first heist. It doesn't work out, and then somehow you adapt and make it work. And it's just like, that was, that's like every single heist movie kind of follows that format. Yeah. And it kind of hurts the, the actual presentation for me. Well, look, this, talking about, you know, remakes and kind of leaning on formulas. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a Hollywood at the end of the day. Absolutely. It's a heist movie and it's a zombie movie. Yeah. Trust me, they've got like literally dozens and dozens of movies to kind of look back on and say, what do we like? What do we don't like? And also, let's not forget, Zack Snyder is a fan of movies. Yeah. And I guess he's always tried to make movies of genres and certain films that he's a fan of, right? Um, and so this is him being a fan of zombie movies. This is his second zombie movie. Yeah. Not his first, his second. Yeah. And so clearly he loves the genre and I'm sure we're going to get more down the road. And he's just trying to have some fun with it, you know? And just given what he's been through, you know, with the DCEU, it was commercially successful, not to the level, I think, where everybody wanted. The world has been built, but we know it's not lasting for the future in terms mm -hmm. of many of the characters. They're already talking about recasting um, Superman. They're already talking about a new Batman, things like that, right? Yeah. Whereas I feel like he almost needed this more for himself, a departure away from that, go back to a genre that he loves, don't worry about a theatrical release and, and box office receipts. It's in the world of Netflix. It's going to be on a streaming platform, so you don't have that pressure of how much money did you make opening weekend. It's kind of funny because it feels like Zack Snyder really wants to make like those those major comic book or Star Wars or whatever. Like He wants those big box office movies and he wants to do it his way. Mm. But all the studios are saying, we don't want to do it your way. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to do it. Because he, he, like, this felt like, uh, for me, it was very much Zack Snyder's Suicide Squad. Right. Like, this is his version of a Suicide Squad yeah. movie. And that's basically what we got. 
And there was already rumors that he wanted to do like a Star Wars movie. And instead of like actually being picked up by Lucasfilm, he said he's just going to turn it into like a space samurai off-brand movie. And it's going to be like a different kind of sci-fi movie. And you know what it's going to be exactly. Like if I told you that Zack Snyder's going to do a, super, a Star Wars movie, you know how it's going to look. And now that it's not actual, like, the brand of Star Wars, you yeah. know it's just going to be, like, an off-brand version of that. Yeah. Um, and and there, there was another movie that he was going to do, but, like, it just, it's very specific that he wants to be in that club, but they don't want him in that club anymore. As far as what I liked for this movie, uh, I thought the zombie tiger was yes. very cool. Yes. That was a very cool choice. Now, that's about it. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I think... The, the, the best parts of the movies, it, of this particular movie rather, was when they are actually getting involved in the action. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot yeah, of... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, the action is good. The action is good. I feel like when they have some of the quippy dialogue between the actors, it's not really... Oh really my God, the it's, writing is atrocious. Yeah. She says, like, when uh, the coyote was, like, giving him... She says something like, it's not a matter of if or when. It's a matter of if. And it's like, what What did you just say? Yeah. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. It's corny. It's cheesy. The Japanese joke? Oh, what I mean, the fuck was that? I don't Is know. that like racism I'd never heard of? They tried to be funny uh, and, and, you know, between some of the scenes that these actors, uh, that these characters have. And it just never hit the mark for me, man. Absolutely. The funny thing is like, I'm sure they had comedic notes that they were going to hit right. with Chris D'Elia. Because I don't know if you're aware, but uh, when they first made this movie, the character that plays the pilot, the helicopter pilot, played by Tick Nataro, mm-hmm. that was originally Chris D'Elia. I did not know that. Filmed, completely done. Wow. Completely they done. They had to reshoot all of that? They reshot him. So basically, Tick Nataro went on a green screen and shot everything, shot for shot, replacing him. Chris D'Elia basically just a, if you don't know, was accused of pursuing multiple teenage girls. And because of that, number one, canceled. Yeah. Uh, number two, they reshot it completely. And uh, if you actually watch it, like the editing isn't flawless. Like you can kind of tell where it is. And, y- and if you like look at it, like you didn't even know. I didn't know so that, it just yeah. shows that like, you know, they did a good job to like kind of hide it. Uh. But the fact that I knew did hurt it a little bit for me. Because wow. I was thinking about it a lot as I'm watching it. I'm thinking like, Oh, that dialogue felt a little clunky because you could tell like one per- like it wasn't obviously what what was shot. Right. And they also edited a lot of pronouns a few of the times and stuff like that as well. I don't blame them. Obviously, like you know, that's completely outside of their control. But uh, man, like. But listen, once again, this is a situation where perhaps Snyder ha- was getting reined in a little bit by the studios whilst he was living in the world of the DCEU. But I feel like under Netflix, they were just like, yo, you know, here's a blank check. Go make your movie. Take as long as you need to take. Yep. There's no real solid release date because we're not putting this in the cinemas and theaters. Yep. Right. And I feel like sometimes that can be a positive and a negative. It could be a detriment to a filmmaker. Yeah. I feel like sometimes the pressure cooker makes you um, deliver a better product. When you have like all the time in the world, you're procrastinating and you're trying to basically check off every single idea that you have in this movie. Yes. Sometimes it's overload, it's too much. Absolutely. Honestly, a lot of the times I was confused watching the movie. I was like, why is it so long? Like, it, nothing's actually happening right now. Right. What's occupying my time? Yeah. Like, a lot, it was just not a lot of like, characters weren't fleshed out. Yeah. The movie's like over two hours and not one character has any backstory or any character depth. 
They could have easily just shaved off half an hour of this movie and made it a better. A hundred percent, they could have shaved off time. But yeah. if they needed to use that time, at least use it to develop your goddamn characters. Yeah. They had random storylines that just weren't built up. Like there's when that girl says like, "Oh, she loves Batista," and like the third act of the movie that was never built up in the first two. It was like like maybe touched on a little bit. Right, right. And then they, they I start thinking like, did I miss something that was built up? <laughs> and I go, okay, they introduce this storyline where she loves him and then 10 minutes later she dies and it's like why did you even build up the fucking storyline then like where's yeah. this payoff yeah you're not invested in that love story or whatever you know in romantic involvement those characters had to really feel the the impact of her dying it's either you you like introduce that love story later so that you can pay off something in a sequel or something like that if you're going to do it that late or you invest early in that relationship so that when you do actually have that depth or sorry, that death, it actually makes sense and it has weight behind it. Yeah. Uh, even the funny thing is when I was watching, I was like, man, I don't like any of these combos of like characters. I kind of liked Van and Dieter. Mm. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I kind of like these two. Boom, dead. They killed off Dieter right when I started thinking like, these are good characters together. That's another thing. This is an, an ensemble piece, right? And I don't feel as though on the casting side, they did the best job in terms of getting the right actors. I don't know. I don't know who else was involved. I don't even have an idea of who I would have cast in whatever roles. What I'm saying is, is when I look at, for example, Aliens, everyone in that ensemble of the army, I remember in my mind, right? When I look at Reservoir Dogs, yeah, you know, the list goes on and on. Like when you can nail the cast of a good ensemble that is so integral to the movie. In this case, a group of people trying to steal some money, it is so imperatively important that you get the casting right. The most important thing is chemistry. If if the chemistry is off, it's just not going to work. Absolutely. Also, okay, my last thing I will say. (laughs) All right, I know I'm going off on a rant. Just (laughs) just like lacing army of dead today. Batista's daughter is so stupid. (laughs) What a dumb character. Like she's supposed to be like the morality of the movie or something. Right. And, And my whole thought process is she's too illogical for me. She makes no sense. And by the end of it, like, I'm f- I'm not, like, sympathizing with her. I'm frustrated. I'm like, you have to go back for her again and again. Like, she keeps fucking up. She she is just a terrible character. But, yeah, I don't want to rant too much, right? Like, whatever. It is what it is. I didn't love this movie too much. Um, hey, listen, that's okay. Listen, <laughs> you know, we try to be positive for the most part on this show. Um, but when something isn't that great and you feel some type of way about it, we're going to be honest about it. Absolutely. Okay, I, do, I do have one more. Uh, I apologize. Go for it. <laughs> okay, tell me this, okay? Why is the safe at the end of the movie so impenetrable? It's so hard. There's been so many teams that have died trying to open this safe. And at the start of the movie, there's a safe where the initial zombie is in. And it falls off the truck and opens. <laughs> why the fuck? It, why aren't you using the same kind of safe, you idiots? <laughs> you don't think the fate of the, the whole world is more important oh than God. your money? Yeah, morons. That was so dumb. Also, I think uh, if there's any like argument for gun ownership, I think zombie apocalypse yeah. is pretty high on there. It, it just is. to keep guns around. Yeah. <laughs> I will say just to kind of um, throw some positive, you know, cues on this movie. Yeah. I thought the look of Vegas visually, it, it was cool. I, I liked just Vegas being this kind of like locked off part of the world where zombies exist inside it. 
they've kind of cornered it off with um, shipping containers. Yeah, yeah. So shipping containers are basically bordering around the, the vicinity of where Vegas is. And so, someone has been to Las Vegas so many times to see all the iconic monuments just be kind of, I guess, um, ripped to pieces and shredded and, and all the kind of stuff. I thought that was really cool. I thought like some of the cinematography and some of the production elements and the, and the special effects with regards to the zombies, especially the zombie white tiger and the look of Vegas was a really cool visual. Absolutely. That was actually one of the things like walking into the movie that I was excited about because I knew that was going to be an interesting contrast to yeah. what obviously exists in real life. Yeah, And it's smart of them. If you're going to pick any, I guess, part of the world where, you know, it's iconic and you can, you know, in a computer, reimagine it in the world of zombies and being ripped to shreds and pieces. It doesn't get more iconic than Las Vegas. It really doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you do, like, see this franchise continuing, is that something you're interested in? No. I'm, uh, but, but here's the thing. I'm not the biggest fan of the zombie genre, personally. Yeah. I've seen, there, there's been some good zombie movies that I've seen, like... Uh, 28 Days Later is like a really great movie. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead. Train to Busan. Yeah. Fantastic movies. Like the zombie genre can be fantastic. Yeah. Here's the problem I have with the zombie genre in 2021. I have probably seen every single suspenseful moment possible with a zombie in The Walking Dead. Sure. Now, in The Walking Dead, I didn't watch the entire show. I, I gave up after, I think, the fifth or sixth season. But... Because they have pretty much shown all the different kind of, I guess, elements with the with regards to zombies and the trouble you can be in, whether it's one zombie or an army of zombies, yeah. it's hard for me to kind of get really invested and start to have you know sweaty palms in a movie like Army of the Dead. I feel like movies like Twenty Eight Days Later that came out years before The Walking Dead, we just didn't get you know I guess overloaded with the zombie world as we are right now. So for me personally, it's not really a genre I'm the biggest fan of. I know that zombie movies has its own subculture yeah. and it has its own audience, and that's why they keep churning out content, whether it's for TV shows or for movies. So the genre is not going anywhere. And I guess, like you said, if this has been a massive success for Netflix. I can definitely see them giving old Zack Snyder the credit card once more to make another movie. I think it's like a guarantee that they're going to continue this yeah. as a franchise. Or I, I think uh, I even heard him talking about how they might even turn it into a show. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing more of this. But okay. I'll just say, uh, personally, I'm starting to realize, number one, I, I don't like this franchise. I think I'm done with it. Right. Uh, but number two, I'm... S- I'm really close to the end of like giving a fuck about Zack Snyder. Yeah, I agree. As a director, like I just I don't see like for the past couple of years, I just haven't seen anything that makes me go because there's interest every time I'm walking into a Zack Snyder movie, but I'm always walking out disappointed these days. Yeah, uh, I think the Justice League, the the version that came out in 2021, that was the most interesting thing he's done in years. But when I take that away and I look at everything else. It's just, I don't think he has anything for me anymore. And I can't just sit around and watch four-hour movies every single time that he's going to release something yeah. and hope he corrects it the second time. Yeah, I feel like we're always going to end up watching a Zack Snyder movie only because I feel like he's still going to get opportunities in Hollywood, yeah. whether it's on a streaming platform or whether it's from a major studio for a theatrical release or whatever. But I'm with you. I am with you 100% where my expectations heading into Zack Snyder movies at this point is at, uh, as probably the lowest it's ever been, yeah. honestly. He just doesn't seem to hit the mark 
Uh, and maybe we should should not have high expectations anymore moving forward. Maybe that's something that will help us enjoy his movies moving forward as well. You, the last thing I will say about this movie is I actually wish it was kind of made in like the 80s. Because right. I think more action, less fluff, something that was tighter. Like, because it feels like this is like trying to reach places that it doesn't have to. Right. And it doesn't get there. It doesn't have to like be in that like area where it's trying to reach these emotional points. It never hits those, so I don't need it to. Mm. If this was made with like the same idea of like a like you know an eighties Arnold or Sylvester movie, they should have just set it in the eighties. That yeah. would have been fun, dude. That would have been limited s- by technology, oh. no mobile phones and things like that. That's a great call. Yeah, like that and exactly the story that they had. Like that would have been beautiful. Yeah. Uh, star rating, two point five. Yeah, fair enough. I ended up giving it a two. I feel like that's even a little more generous than I actually want to be. If I'm being honest, right. I think visually it hit it hit notes really well. Yeah. And that's pretty much it for me. No depth beyond that. <sighs> I feel like uh, this was a cathartic experience. <laughs> I got everything off my chest. Yes. <laughs> I've been holding this in for like two weeks. We didn't uh, get to do it. We were going to do it last week, but I didn't get to do uh, it. This is like a monster episode this week. Yeah. Let's get off this. Let's talk about the biggest news items of the week. Yes. There were a few from last week I just want to quickly hit on. Okay. Just because I, I, you know, just for stock purposes, I think we should have them in here. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen on Doctor Strange 2 did say, this one is sure to surprise fans. I can't wait to see your reaction, especially when it comes to the WandaVision part. It's a very specific set of expectations. Okay. What do you think? I mean, I love it. I mean, she's not really saying much that we're not already expecting. Th- honestly, I feel like at this stage, there is so much hype leading into this Doctor Strange multiverse of madness movie, both with the casting, the rumors, what it's supposed to A, tie up, pay off, um, set up for the rest of phase four. This may honestly be the most anticipated movie in the MCU, probably since Endgame. You know what? It's funny because uh, Black Widow's coming. I don't feel the anticipation for that, but I, I think it's also because number one, it's like that espionage genre of the MCU. And also because we know it's a it's a prequel, so yeah. it's not going to have that same kind of stakes yep. going forward. But it feels like Eternal, huge stakes. Spider-Man, huge stakes. And Doctor Strange, huge stakes. Like the next three movies after Black Widow just feel huge to me. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see the, the I guess, fourth quarter for this year mm-hmm. and also the first quarter for next oh, year. Oh, I'm so hyped for the fourth quarter. Uh, it, what the MCU have up their sleeve for the rest of the year is going to be so sick. Yeah. Um, also, just a quick touch under the Disney umbrella still, uh, the franchise, or whatever it was supposed to be, Rangers of the New Republic is current is no longer in development. Right. That was obviously supposed to be the Gina Carano project. Yeah. Uh, no longer in production. Obviously, Gina Carano was let go earlier. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely no surprise there whatsoever. The minute they parted ways with her, I thought this project was going to get canned because it was all set up for her. And it's just kind of sad, really, when you think about what she had on you know, on her table yep. for the future, essentially her own franchise in the yeah. Star Wars universe. Jesus Christ. I mean, those don't grow on trees, man. It's crazy because to think like she was such a hit in a TV show that they were going to give her her own movie is, uh, is crazy that, that she messed that up. Uh, but next we have Sony which says, this is actually from this week, so Sony says that there is actually a plan to connect Spider-Man with their Marvel movies. Yeah, again, that makes sense. Uh, um, 
there's a relationship between the head of Sony and Kevin Feige. They've obviously struck a deal to use the character of, of Spider-Man in the MCU. And I genuinely love the fact that because we're heading into this kind of multiverse of madness and the MCU exploring different universes, it means that the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man era and all the characters that were built up in that universe, the Andrew Garfield era of Spider-Man and all the characters and the villains that were made up in that universe, yeah. they're all... I guess the investment you made in those movies is not gone away. Yeah. Because when Doc Ock arrives, you're like, oh my God, that's from a this this universe and Electro from that universe, and yeah. maybe these you know, the, the these older Spider-Man that we kind of you know watch in other movies are going to be coming back. Like, I don't mind that. Honestly, I don't. Were they my favorite movies? No. Do I prefer the MCU movies? Yes. But if there's a cohesive way to make this whole thing work, and if that means that Sony can lean on the MCU universe as well, why not? You know what, I hope that if they are going to do that, I hope it's a situation where this Spider-Man kind of dips in those universes if we're playing with, you know, dimensional travel, yeah. but then he dips out. Because right. I don't need him to, like, live in those universes for a long time. Right. Uh, but speaking of Sony, we're also, we also got news that Aaron Taylor Johnson, who played Quicksilver in the Avengers Ultron movie, has been cast as Kraven the Hunter. And uh, Kraven, for me, is one of my favorite characters from Spider-Man. And he was somebody I was kind of hoping that would be, you know, the villain in a future movie. So it's interesting that they're going to go with, like, he's not the kind of character I would have expected to get an entire origin story. Uh, what are your thoughts on the origin story, the casting, and his future? Well, I just told you what Sonya are doing with this kind of the world of Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, Morbius, now Craven. Yeah. They're essentially creating these origin stories. They're doing it with Venom, right? And... It's almost quite interesting that we're living in a world where some of these characters that you don't kind of really think about as major characters in the world are getting their own solo movies. You would expect yeah. them to be the villain in a Spider-Man movie. Yeah. But to get your own movie, to really kind of get that backstory and kind of build you up as a character before you ultimately and obviously end up having that head-to-head -head with Spider-Man, it's quite telling with, you know, how far Sony are willing to go in this universe. Because... We've spoken about this before in terms of DC and Batman. Batman has an incredible universe all on his own yeah. in terms of villains. Spider-Man has the same thing. Absolutely. And if you're Sony and you own the rights to Spider-Man, you don't need anybody else. Yep. If you can work with the MCU and Disney, great. But even if you can't, you've still got so many characters to play with. The only thing is Sony's track record of making movies in this world hasn't been great in terms of just... Um, my overall enjoyability versus, say, an MCU production. Absolutely. If they I, can just tie things up there, I'm all for it. I didn't enjoy the Venom franchise already. Like, I didn't enjoy it, like the first movie, I guess. Um, but I understand the idea that Venom is the kind of character that can play, you know, a good guy and a bad guy. He's kind of that tweener. Morbius, and same thing goes for Kraven. I'm not sure how they're going to really play that. Like, I know we had the Joker movie, which... Uh, also, side note, Todd Phillips did sign on to co-create or co-write the Joker 2, so that sequel's happening. Uh, but on top of that, like to see these characters get flushed out where I don't know if they're going to have that same depth that somebody as iconic as the Joker has. Craven the Hunter is not somebody people are that familiar with, and same thing goes with Morbius. I'm not sure they're going to translate, but they do have fantastic casting and the, the, the people that they've chosen to be these characters, those are great picks. Yeah. I can't get past that. Uh, next we have, from this past weekend, according to Box Office Mojo, A Quiet Place 2 has made 
a domestic box office haul of $47.4 million. Yeah, which tells me... That's pre-COVID numbers. Yeah. Like America is opening up, yeah. right? And that's where a lot of these studios make the bulk of their money, right? And for America to be opening up in certain states and certain cities and people being able to go back to the theatres, it's only a positive. Hopefully yeah. that happens uh, in Canada sooner, sooner rather than later. I'm dying to go back to the theatre. Uh, and Just a quick note, I hadn't seen uh, the first movie, A Quiet Place, until literally this past week. And yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really had a good time watching it. Yeah. And I'm now ready to watch the sequel. Yeah, because it's not so much a horror movie as it is like this thriller. It's, it's just, it's fantastic. The suspense that it builds is... Yeah. Crazy, and it's almost crazier that it comes from John Krasinski. Gangster. I strategy. never would have expected that coming Absolutely. from him. Uh, next, we have two other stories. We got J.J. Abrams saying that <laughs> the Star Wars sequel trilogy would have benefited from a clear plan. Otherwise, you don't know what you're setting up. This is coming uh, six years after The Force Awakens came out. Yeah, I saw that quote, and I thought to myself... Duh. Yeah, like, what, you guys didn't think about this before you made the fucking movie? Yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, like the fact that they acknowledge that they didn't have a plan going in, at least pretend like you did and it changed or something. What the hell? I feel like as more time goes on, the the, the, the new set of sequels of the trilogy is going to not be remembered as fondly as perhaps... The, the original trilogy or maybe even as much as the original prequels. Huh? I think the prequels, for some reason, have aged well for people who grew up in that time. Right. Like, people who are kids, yeah. they, they watched that and they had fun. I wonder if kids that watch the sequel trilogy are going to have that same relationship. Because we, as, like, older fans, shit on that thing so heavily yeah. that I, I don't so, know. By the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I enjoyed them, but it's like, man, like, the legacy of them is like really not aging well. No. And it's getting worse. Yeah. Uh, last thing I got is Seth Rogen's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie is being released in August of 2023. Okay. The cool thing about this is that it was announced that the movie is going to be number one, CGI animated. And number two, it's going to be an emphasis on the teenage aspect of the heroes as well as casting characters between the age of 13 and 16. Okay. I feel like that's a fun... Like, if we're going to do an origin story, which I'm not a huge fan of, yeah. if we're going to reboot Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. like, it, it always feels like they're older. They're called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm down to see them be a little younger and have to actually deal with the idea of being a teenager. Can I be honest? The, the world of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, yeah. you know, whatever you want to call them, I loved them when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember playing the video game on on the original Nintendo. I had... Turtles in Time is a classic. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah. I had sticker books. I had a merchandise. I had toys. I loved watching the cartoon on, t- on TV. I remember watching the original movies on, on video. Yeah. I haven't enjoyed anything else. As a, yeah. as, a, as a grown man, as an adult, as someone that loves fantasy, sci-fi, loves comic book movies... There's something about the, the 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 movies that they've made so far that just hasn't, for whatever reason, resonated with me, or I haven't really enjoyed them as much. And I'm listen. I hope Seth Rogen does a good job, right? Um, but for for me right now, my 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 level of expectation of what I, of of interest is in terms of the world of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in whatever facet, whether it's a TV show or movie, is we're pretty low honestly you know what uh, as somebody who like like you said we, we grew up with it and I really did love the Ninja Turtles when I was a kid growing up yeah 
I would love for like my nephews and stuff like that to have that same kind of relationship with them. So yeah. I'm hoping that this is something that really is successful and they nail it because it, it feels like one of those franchises that just hasn't been explored properly. And once they do get it right, I think it's something that can be fruitful and can be a franchise going forward. Like And, and the guys like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, having them behind it almost confirms that it's going to be number one, funny, lighthearted. And I think that's the best place to go with the Ninja Turtles because I think what they tried to do with a lot of the newer ones is either you try to be too broad or let's give them a little bit of an edge whatever it is that you kind of do let's not do that let's have it be fun let's have it be for kids and let's have jokes that actually make sense and let's just have the action be awesome and the visuals be awesome and if you're doing a CG version why not that can totally hit it yeah just one more to add on I know we've already covered a lot but this one Made me chuckle, made me laugh, made me giggle. Yeah. Want to get your take on it. And it's something that's been kind of rumored for a while, but reportedly yeah. Universal wants to do a Fast and Furious and Jurassic World crossover. <laughs> and there seems to be some genuine steam and momentum behind it now. There's been some great fan art and memes created with this. And yeah, I saw Boss Logic <laughs> joining in into that too. Yeah, so everyone's having some fun with this right now. And I'm just curious, you know, once we get the, the next Jurassic World installment and I guess the final, uh, and I say that in quotation marks, final Fast and Furious movie, are you down for that crossover? Listen, I am 100% down for this crossover. <laughs> I want nothing more than this crossover. All right? This is going to be... like. I don't give a shit about Jurassic World. I could not care less about the Fast and Furious anymore. Right. But I can't wait for this to happen. This yeah. would like reinvigorate my interest in seeing this because I know it's going to be the worst thing and the best thing at the exact same time. I just hope they bring in The Rock. Like I want Hobbs and Shaw. I want all the Go characters hard. from the Fast and Furious like world to like cross over with Jeff Goldblum and everybody for Jurassic World. Listen, if you're going to go all the way, I need you to do this as like MCU level, Avengers Endgame level. Crossover. Like the production needs to be as high as possible. Yeah. Like $350 million budget. Like it needs to be humongous. Yeah, I'm so down for this. I'm all in. I'm so all in for this. I'm all in for this. I think it's going to be so much fun. I think that if they do that, like that could almost create this new universe of you know hey we have this property we have that property let's throw them together right i love that i've always wanted to see that because there was always these rumors that they were going to do a super bad pineapple express crossover and they right. never did yeah and what a missed opportunity let's do this let's have fun yeah i think this could be so much fun i agree yeah. uh but that's there's so many stories that just came out from this week uh like we said everything that happened with the friends everything that happened with invincible army of the dead all these new stories what a great show. Gentlemen, let's cap it off with Let's Get Wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. What's Sandu's pick this week? Okay, so this finally dropped on Crave, uh, but I believe it's available on Amazon for those of you listening outside of Canada. And I finally got around to watching Sound of Metal, uh, starring Riz Ahmed. Uh, like I said, it's available on Crave in Canada, Amazon Prime Video in the rest of the world. It's produced by Amazon Studios. I mean, these guys almost cleared house um, at the Oscars this year. They, they won for Best Film Editing, they won for Best Sound, but they were also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor for Paul Ratchie, Best Actor for Riz Ahmed, and they were also nominated for Best Picture at the most recent Academy Awards. So I had a really good time watching this. Big up to Riz Ahmed, representing the UK, representing London, representing brown people in the world <laughs> of Hollywood. Absolutely outstanding performance. It's a great story. Go out of your way. 
to watch Sound of Metal. I have seen it. It's tremendous. If you have not seen I actually thought, like, you know, the Riz Ahmed, I genuinely thought had a chance at winning that Best Actor because he was tremendous he in this was movie. so great, yeah. It's such an interesting experience to go through. Go out of your way to watch this movie. Yeah. For Bra's pick, I ended up going with uh, season three of Masters of None. I give you a specific season. If you can, you know, go out of your way, watch season one, season two. It's a Ziz Ansari show. But season three is almost a very different departure. It still has the same characters that we saw from season one and two, but it's a standalone series. It's a standalone story, and it's beautifully shot. It's everything about it. It's so well written. Uh, you kind of just live with these characters, and you're living in this moment with them. And especially during COVID, during quarantine, it's it's such a great companion piece for that and you're going through this relationship with these two characters and you're seeing like the dips and the highs and all this kind of stuff and I really can't recommend it enough it's starring Lena Waithe who is a hundred percent already such a powerhouse in Hollywood but who's obviously going to be even more of a powerhouse she's a content creator in every way possible I can't wait to see what she does in the future because of how amazing she was in season three of Masters of None Go out of your way to watch it. It's already on Netflix. Enjoy that. But that's the show for the week, guys. Jump on the work. Everybody find us. We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you can do us a solid favor, rate and review us. That goes a long way on the show getting found on that particular platform. Awesome. Thanks for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.